Hello, Nevin. Ozzy. Scruffy. What is it, boy? <laughs> Who is a very good boy? <laughs> Ordering 10 large honey glazed hams. Overnight delivery. Hey, everyone, and welcome back. I'm your host, Mima. And I'm your co-host, Johnny G, and we are... Chimps on a Keyboard! A memes secretory project. Did you know that David Bowie once portrayed the inventor that had a great hand in starting home automation? Would you believe me if I told you a pack of female students on horses was the reason we now have smart devices? What if we told you that in 2019, a Roomba had the police on edge during a home invasion? On today's episode, we are going to jump into the history of home automation and smart homes. Not only are we going to explore common and innovative devices used today, but we are going to transport back in time to show you the small technological leaps that led to today's home automation explosion. So ask Alexa to turn off all the TVs, turning on all the televisions, oh, uh, and have your Roomba start your chores. Let's jump into today's episode, Home Automation. guys and welcome back this is episode three which we're going to discuss the history of home automation yeah this is a topic i'm personally excited about because i am trying to set up my own smart hub and other home automation devices in my own place yeah same here i already have security cameras lighting alexa we're getting started wow nice yeah man i'm so excited i can't wait for things to be done for me you know i don't have to rely on my mom or my girlfriend or whatever to just like Get me out of bed and turn on off lights for me or even wash dishes for me. I'm just, this is my dream come true, you know? You want that automation life, huh? The automation life. The automatic <laughs> life. I just wanted to lay in bed and have everything done for me. Anyway, on that note, let's jump into it. This is home automation. I, I'm pretty sure anybody in the modern times right now knows what home automation is or a smart home, you know, a voice assistant, digital assistant, right? But what makes it a smart home? What makes it... You know, home automation. Well, there's actually a big difference between home automation and smart home. Home automation is when systems will monitor and control home attributes like lighting, climate, entertainment, appliances, and security. Smart homes are home automation devices that have internet access. So it's any device that can be monitored, controlled via wireless radio signal or internet access. You know, you actually bring up a good point. I never actually dwelled into what separates home automation from smart home, even though it's kind of like two sides of the same coin? Yeah, I think the big difference here is before internet, there was still home automation, except when the internet came through, now we have smart homes. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Now, as anyone can guess, like any modern technology, it always circles back to that one guy that we all love to talk about. Yes, that is Nikola Tesla, the same guy who was played by David Bowie in the movie The Prestige. I've never seen Prestige. Seriously? Mm. Dude, it's such a good movie. With Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale in it? No, I've never seen it. I didn't even and know David Bowie was an actor. <laughs> have you seen Zoolander? I have. Dude, he was a, a judge for like the walk-off, the underground walk-off. Huh, I didn't even recognize him. That's Seriously? Funny. Oh, man. You got to watch it again. All yeah. three of them. Oh, I'm down. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, so is this Tesla the same as Elon Musk's Tesla? Yeah, this is the same Tesla. In fact, I think this is the only Tesla that, that anybody knows about um, <laughs> whose name was lent out to that one car manufacturer, the electric wow. car manufacturer, Tesla. That's awesome. Right? 
Back in 1898, Tesla invented and patented a remote control robot boat, and he demonstrated it at the electrical exhibit event in Madison Square Garden in New York. Yeah, this is the first time that anybody has ever created anything remote controlled. Up until then, everything was managed by wires. But this, this was a huge leap in technology. Yeah, he constructed it with an antenna that transmitted radio waves coming from the command post where he was standing. Those radio waves were received by a device called a coherer, which then transmitted radio waves into the mechanical movement of the propellers on the boat. Now, ironically, anything past this for a few decades will just seem like a step backwards compared to the genius that was Nikola's and te- uh, Tesla's invention. He was definitely ahead of his time. But let's go back to gasoline-powered devices. In 1899, John Thurman created the first gasoline-powered vacuum cleaner. He charged a whole $4 per visit in 1903, which doesn't sound like a lot to us now, but I bet that was a crap load back then. Yeah, I remember reading about this. It was like a huge like horse-drawn carriage with a whole vacuum built into it. And what they would do is they would hook up tubes that they would put through windows to vacuum uh, the insides of houses. $4 was a lot of money back then. In fact, the only people who would use this uh, service was a bunch of like museums and rich people, rich neighborhoods, rich businesses. It was not very popular in the beginning because it would scare horses away in the street. (laughs) And a lot of neighbors were complaining about the loud noises that the, the, the motor powered vacuum did but it was a sight to see um most most of those carriages actually had a window like made out of glass so that people can see the dust being sucked into it now as you can tell that was kind of really unwieldy like that was very impossible to use in smaller homes but it was the first yeah it was the first right um before that believe it or not guys um there was manual hand cranked vacuums that weren't as good. So <laughs> this machine was definitely an innovation because can you imagine vacuuming your whole house, just spinning your arm away, trying to suck up <laughs> dust from the carpet? You'd have like one buff arm. One, one buff arm. One lazy. <laughs> <laughs> In 1908, that's when the innovation for the modern handheld vacuum started. 1908, James Murray Spangler, um, who was both an inventor and a janitor, patented the first portable electric suction cleaner in Canton, Ohio. He sold off the idea to William Hoover. Yep, that William Hoover, the (laughs) one who created the Hoover vacuums. And since then, it's taken off. Let's take a step back one year, though. In 1907, the Hurley Electric Company created the electric laundry washing machine. It was called the Thor 32. It wasn't cheap either, but it was the first one where we step into automating home processes. And also in 1929, the first electric motor dishwasher was released by the European company called Miele or Miel. It didn't immediately take off because at the time there was an economic uh, crash going on. So people didn't have money to afford it. Oh yeah, it. you said in the 20s, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who was going to afford that the, in the 20s? The Great Depression, right? Yeah. I hear they had dishwashers way back then. I mean... <laughs> they weren't... They were very rudimentary. It, it didn't seem... Uh, like it has all modern day technology, but if you think about like a modern day uh, dishwasher, literally uses just a spinning hand with water spouting out of it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how much? What more? What more can you get out of that, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, between 1910 and 1920, there was a technological boom with the sole purpose of making household chores easier. Yeah, even back then, no one liked chores. Yeah, even when there was nothing else to do in the world, no one liked chores. Well, back then, it was a women's work. Only women had to do all the chores. Good point, yeah. <laughs> Now, the idea of home automation started taking off from there, and a lot of people started taking interest. A lot of, a lot of different companies tried to come up with their own ways to make you know, home life easier. In 1933, the Chicago World Fair had this exhibit called The House of Tomorrow. It was a very notable event because it brought to life concepts and ideas that some companies had. Ideas such as adjustable dimming feature with electric lights, uh, central air conditioning system, and you know electric garage door openers, which we have nowadays. But back then, it wasn't a thing yet. So this was just a thought. This was just what people are trying to invent or just a thought. It wasn't even created yet. They just had it in their head. Yes. People just had these ideas of what can make home life easier. But it was kind of like like what concept cars are nowadays. You see a car, a concept of a car and like, oh, you know, we can make cars this way. We can make cars do that. But in this case, it's for home automation. We can make doors do this. We can make AC do that. I wonder how it was received by, by the audience. Like, did they go, like, oh, this can't be. There's no way this can ever happen. Yeah, they, they literally thought, oh, you know, this is, you know, we're a few few years away, but people were very hopeful. Very, they 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 loved this event and, and just it helped pave way for a lot of uh, mainstream ideas later on, like, you know, TV and movies and the idea of the future. Something that we call nowadays retrofuturism. That's a word. That's a word. Now, let's take a step forward into the future, into the 60s, where the Beatles... The Monkees and The Who reigned supreme. There was an engineer from Westinghouse. His name was Jim Sutherland, who, with his company's permission, started creating a fully automated smart home. He was an engineer from Pittsburgh who decided to bring home some components from computers that Westinghouse had innovated at that time and decided to hook them up to a house uh, to, to set them up in a certain way that would help with household chores. Um... The computers alone were able to control many aspects of the household. Things like controlling the temperature and um, having a central computer that you can type in your own shopping lists or even making mailing labels too. Most of it was programmed through a keyboard and there was even some punch card automation going on. The name of this house at the time was called the Echo 4 and the system itself was fully operational on April 16th of 1966. Echo 4, is that where Amazon got the Amazon Echo? You know what? I've actually looked into this and I can't find the answer. Nowhere does Amazon ever mention that the idea of the Amazon Echo came from the Echo 4. I mean, But it's super similar though. This is a home automation device and the Echo. Yeah, how can you not like put two and two together and think like this is obviously the inspiration for the Amazon Echo's name? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I'd say so. I, I believe it in my heart that that's where <laughs> it came from. There's no way it didn't. Believe it or not though, The Amazon Echo originally was called the Amazon Spark. That's right. It did have a different name. Yeah, and the first few sets of Amazon Echoes being delivered actually had a blank box because they just thought about renaming the device last minute. That's why mm -hmm. Echo is nowhere near, like nowhere printed in any of the devices, the first devices that were shipped. Now, another thing to note is in the 60s, the cartoon The Jetsons 
premiered. And of course, like any TV show that decides to show the future, they they come up with their own unique ideas of what the future will look like. And of course, the Jetsons came up with like, you know, robot assistant maids that we have now with the Amazon Alexa or the Roomba, which we'll get into soon. The Jetson had a, like a type of Roomba where it just kind of went around and... It literally had a robot that would vacuum the whole house. Oh, wow. That's cool. But it was a robot made. I've never seen... You've never seen the Jetsons? I've never seen the Jetsons. My God. How much did you miss? You haven't seen the Prestige. You haven't seen the Jetsons. You haven't seen Zoolander. <laughs> I've seen Zoolander. But you don't know who David Bowie is. Just didn't re- I didn't recognize him, I guess. In 1969, another device was created. It was called the Kitchen Computer. There's not too much information on it, and it wasn't very successful, but it was what would have been a smart device that stores recipes. So it kind of sits in your kitchen, and you can put all your recipes in there, so when you're you're cooking, you can look at your kitchen computer. Um, but it really wasn't popular, and it didn't take off, and it kind of vanished within, like, two years. Were there computer monitors back then? Because the Echo 4 didn't have a monitor. It just put output through printing. Yeah, I was trying to find out more on it, like, what did it look like, or how did it work? But there's really nothing on it. It just says, hey, this kitchen computer, you know, sat in your kitchen and helped you store recipes, but it said nothing about how it worked. Huh. Yeah. I'm imagining like an iPad tablet, but I don't, I doubt it was anything like that. So I don't don't think we had anything as thin as an iPad. Yeah. So I'm like, what was it? This big, like, no wonder it didn't take off this big device taking your whole kitchen. Like, I have no clue. You replace your stove with a computer. (laughs) Jumping in the disco and funk era. Oh, funkadelic. The 1970s had their own technological advances. So in 1971, the microcontrollers and microprocessors were invented. Oh, that's that's a huge step for computers. Yeah, it helped devices be more affordable, more portable, and it paved the way for more complicated inventions to be created. Yep, as any avid computer science major would know, the microcontroller alone helped explode technology in general. Hey, Rima, you know what else came out of the 70s? What's that? Have you ever heard of the Prancing Pony vending machine? No, was it a Vegas show? (laughs) No, and it wasn't a Tijuana show either. (laughs) So in Stanford, they have this AI lab. One of the executive officers that helped run that AI lab, his name was Les Ernest. He set out to resolve this issue that the common area had in the AI lab. Originally, they had this vending machine that was constantly empty um, and or broken, and he wanted to do something about it. What he did is he hit up the vending machine company that Stanford had a contract with and rented out a vending machine from them. Now, he employed the help of Ted Panofsky to help connect the vending machine to a computer. With that came the first computer-controlled vending machine. They implemented a payment system to it that allowed for either cash or card, and they even implemented a monthly billing system where every month the machine will print out the running bill for different members of the Stanford AI lab or just the school in general. They even managed to implement a gambling option where every one in 28 purchases will give you the chance to win a free vending item and also the option to double or nothing the chance as well. So you can win twice as much stuff or nothing at all. Man, all this for a soda pop. Soda pop, yes. (laughs) They also noticed a cultural difference here where music students of the university would often gamble more often than computer science students would because they knew that 1 in 28, they would get something free. 
Wait, they could track who ordered or who used the vending machine? They can, actually. They did with the, the computer payment system that they implemented into it. They can actually track who's buying what, unless it was cash. But the the gambling cultural difference was actually noticed by the people running it you know, in person through anecdotal evidence more than anything else. Les's main reason why he wanted to implement the system was because they used to run this vending machine on an honor system with an honor system payment plan. And they quickly found out that they were losing money fast that way. Now, oddly enough, later on, Les's coworker, who also happens to be alumni of Stanford at the time that this was all going on, she confessed that her and her friends, all Stanford students, would actually ride in with their horses to sneak in and steal as much candy from the original honor payment system vending machine, which in turn led to less trying to create the system, which in turn led to even more home automation technology. So her alone helped kickstart modern day home technology. Or she was the problem of theft. She's a thief. I'm actually going to cut that off. <laughs> Why? Why? I have no idea how to implement that. I, just, I don't know how that went. Why? She... You just said she stole. Her and her friends would steal candy, yeah. Why can't I say she's a thief then? <laughs> I don't know. It just like caught me off guard. I'm like, what? <laughs> just sounded so like out of place. I don't what know. What do you mean? You just said she stole. Why? Like she's a thief. She's a thief. But the honorable thing is she told him years later. Single-handedly, she became one of the main reasons why vending machines are now computer controlled. Now let's take a trip from America. Field trip. All the way to Glenroth's Scotland. A company there known as Pico Electronics had this large innovation. Yeah, in 1975, they created the X10 Home Automation Project. This was a communication protocol that uses a home AC's wiring to enable communication between the device and a controlled module that is installed inside the house. Yeah, the way that this would work is it would use a wiring inside the house to send out electrical radio frequencies through the wires to other endpoints and the radio frequencies would be picked up as communication and commands. This was a big significant step forward in advanced technology, but there were some problems with it. It was unreliable due to signal loss, interference, it was slow, and it was completely unencrypted. Despite all those problems and flaws that it had, it actually is still widely used today. One of those technologies that came out of this idea too is something called Powerline Ethernet, where you can actually transmit Ethernet signal from one um, outlet jack to another. I actually used to use this, but like Mima mentioned, there was a lot of power signal and interference, so it wasn't always the fastest. The idea of the X10 protocol that's used today actually came from a turntable that Pico and Birmingham sound reproducers created together. It used a remote control that operated the player using ultrasound signals. And the name comes from the fact that it was our 10th product. A lot of the X10 products were usually distributed by Sears and Radio Shack. Oh, and later, Radio Shack. Yeah, you remember Radio Shack? Love them. <laughs> Still do. Later on, a computer software interface was developed that can be run on computers like the Commodore 64 or the Apple II and others of the time. And Pico Electronics was the first company to develop a single chip calculator when most companies at the time were using five chips. Now let's fast forward to the time of the 80s, where Duran Duran, The Cure, Metallica, Metallica Bon Jovi, Bon Jovi reigned supreme in a little institution you may have heard of before called uh, Carnegie Mellon. Yeah, you know. You know that one, right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> they helped develop an interesting machine. It was a Coca-Cola machine that was directly connected to ARPANET, the predecessor to the internet. The reasoning behind this was that they used to have a Coca-Cola machine. This story is going to sound very similar to the Prancing Pony machine. I know. I was like, soda pop again? Soda so pop important. again. Soda popping. <laughs> 
they hooked up a Coca-Cola machine to the ARPANET and their location because they would run into the issue that sometimes it would actually be empty and if not have warm soda in it and crisis a crisis yes a whole crisis <laughs> now if you know any researchers and stuff they need their caffeine it was engineered by david nichols mike kazar ivor durham and john zarnay very unique names they often ran into the issue of having an empty coke machine and if it was recently restocked warm coke bottles crisis crisis <laughs> Right? Now, what they did is they implemented a series of sensors inside the machine that could determine whether or not it was recently restocked or if the bottles were up to temperature. This was also later on implemented to a nearby M&M machine, but this project alone helped kickstart the trend that we all now know as the Internet of Things, which we'll talk about IOT. later. IoT, yes. As a side note, Carnegie Mellon also completed a voice recognition program called Harpy, which allowed it to understand 1,000 words back in the 1970s. A few years later, in 1989, this engineer named John Romke was given the challenge to connect a toaster to the internet. It was given to him by Dan Lynch, who was a president of the Interrupt Internet Networking Show. He told him that he would give him the star billing if he was able to connect a toaster to the internet. And he worked with another engineer, Simon Hackett, who helped connect a generic Sunbeam toaster to what is now known as a modern day internet. And a couple of years later, in 1991, the toaster was upgraded to have a crane to auto-upload a bread on command. This project also inspired another student later on to create a toaster that burns the weather report on bread with data from the internet. <laughs> And because of that, Electrolux later too created a toaster that expanded on this in 2008. Funnily enough, as an April Fool's joke, BBC announced that they would create a toaster with a built-in screen to watch your favorite BBC shows back in 2009. <laughs> Before we jump into the era of frosted tips, I'm going to go back to 1984. I just want to point out that the American Association of House Builders coined the word smart home in 84. Officially. Officially. Yeah, I don't think it was what it is now, the modern smart home. It was just different back then. Yeah, I, I do know that this whole topic has gone through a series of different names. I remember there's also something called demotics, like mm -hmm. domestic and robotics put together called demotics. Yeah, that was, um, wasn't that in the 60s where they were trying to make um, household appliances automation? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Domotics. I kept, I kept, I was researching that and I kept finding demonics. And I'm like, no, we're not talking about that right now. <laughs> My toaster's possessed. <laughs> My toaster is going to kill me. <laughs> now, at the start of the 90s, computers started becoming a more household item. And as such, also home automation devices. Ironically, however, the most notable home automation device that came out of the 90s was something that was not computer nor <laughs> internet controlled. We're going to talk about the clapper. In 1996, the clapper came out and it was an electronic switch that operated through the sound of a clap. It was also triggered by dog barks, coughs, and door slams. So if there was a big fight, the light was going off and on. <laughs> the clapper was such a big hit in the 90s that it became like the butt of many jokes in mainstream media. It kind of became a meme on its own, basically. I remember the commercials. Clap on, clap off. It's the clapper. <laughs> it's a clapper. It kind of seems still useful to this day, honestly. <laughs> when I'm laying down and I turn, I keep the light on, I'm always bringing up like, man, why can't I have the clapper? And I start clapping. <laughs> Nothing happens. And then I have to get up and turn my light off. I kind of feel like that's going backwards a little bit because we're talking about like automation, like lights, you know, 
being automated. And then we're talking about the clapper. It was an iconic device that came out of the 90s. Yeah, Kim Kardashian, it was iconic. It was an iconic device that came out in the 90s, despite not being smart in the sense of the word. It was just very rudimentary and only worked off sound and sound. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Did it need to be internet controlled? It didn't need to be computer controlled. It just worked. Clap on, clap off. The clapper. Yeah, that's that's it. (laughs) As computers became more common and complicated, the need for virtual assistance was born. Who here remembers Clippy? You mean from Microsoft Office? Yep, Microsoft. Oh, dude, I used to love that guy. A lot of my friends hated it, but I love that guy. I liked him too. He wasn't really popular, but I liked him. Yeah. So Clippy is an animated paperclip built into Microsoft Office, and its purpose was to assist users. So it would always say, would you like help? And it would pop up a lot. <laughs> Remember that, yeah. <laughs> So it was the default office assistance for Office 97 and Office 2000. Uh, Microsoft disabled Clippy for Office XP. So that's probably why we didn't see him popping up a lot in XP time. Um, Because it got so many negative responses from users. And it was completely removed in Office 2007. I've never understood the negative reviews for Clippy. Like, I always thought it was a wonderful tool. Yeah, Um, me too. I would actually find any and every excuse to use it and not to mention a clippy is the main one that everybody knows but not many people knew that they had different uh buddy selections as well i remember it being Mm -hmm. a dog a cat a wizard and this robotic looking windows logo as well yeah you could choose like a different a different avatar yeah Mm -hmm. depending on my mood i would switch between all of them i think my favorite one was um the dog actually i would choose a dog a lot I guess most people just didn't want to be bothered. But you can move it. You can move it to, like, the corner, and it wouldn't even bother you. Really. Yeah, I never I never understood the hate for it. Yeah. I see you're trying to write a podcast. Would you like help with that? <laughs> On the opposite end of the hated spectrum of virtual assistants, who remembers Bonzi Buddy? Bonzi Buddy! Oh he was God. so cute. I used to love Bonzi Buddy. I used him for everything. Bonzi Buddy was a free desktop virtual assistant that was an animated purple gorilla. It would tell jokes, fun facts, it would sing songs, you could even enter text and it would read it back to you. That's how I passed middle school. <laughs> Look at that, the invention of audiobooks. <laughs> um, so Bonzi Buddy came out in the year 2000. It was short-lived because in 2003, it came to light that Bonzi Buddy was actually a virus, spyware and adware, and it contained a backdoor Trojan that collected user information. Boo. But how's that any different from things nowadays? I know, but <laughs> Everything when it collects comes user to light, information. people don't like it. <laughs> Not true. It, it was very controversial, and I was sad to see it go. Mm-hmm. I was too. Yeah, Bonzi Buddy was the purple um, ape. But yeah. I also remember installing uh, the the green parrot. I mm-hmm. think it was like Petey. Petey. Was that before or after? Petey came out first. Petey Pe- the parrot. Ah. And then they came out with Bonzi Buddy. It was a purple gorilla. <laughs> yeah. Were they both viruses? They were both viruses. Man. Yeah. I would pay money for another assistant like that. Me too. Oh my God. I, I loved him so much. So much. People are probably cringing in the fact that we just like Bonzi Buddy still. <laughs> no, I'm sure people would agree. Everyone I knew liked Bonzi Buddy. He you was know, awesome. You know, they have 
open source alternatives to a lot of the stuff out there like Photoshop and um, and Microsoft Office, they should have an open source version of Bonzi Buddy. Mm-hmm. Someone should get on that. That'd be awesome. I agree. I mean, if I didn't research it, maybe <laughs> someone has. Or no one cares as much as we do. That's true. So the virus would track user information, install toolbars, send advertisements, and set the homepage default to the Bonzi Buddy website. I remember that. It would just, all of a sudden, my my homepage was Bonzi, and I never questioned it as a middle schooler. You know what? Everybody in my family could, would get in trouble for that. We were all accused, mom and dad included, we were all accused of installing toolbars and stuff mm-hmm. and pop-up ads in our yeah. computer. We had no idea how to get rid of it. Little did we know it was because of Bonzi Buddy. Bonzi Buddy. <laughs> so Bonzi Buddy was discontinued in 2004 after many lawsuits and fines. Uh, the website, though, remained until 2008. 2008? Yeah. That's kind of relatively recent. recent. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of 2008, let's dive into the Y2K. The technological apocalypse, as many people thought it was, you know, as predicted by the Aztecs and the Mayans and any other book out there. Wait, I'm trying to think of 2000s music. 2000s music? I mean, we went through the 60s, why. 70s, 80s. No, Ursher? Hi. Ursher? Usher, you mean? What the hell's Usher? He says Usher. Gotta listen to his song. <laughs> well, in two thousands, despite all this fear of technology just deteriorating away, LG introduced their first internet-connected smart fridge. Ooh, that right? sounds cool. And surprisingly, moving on up to two thousand two, iRobot, the company, released the first Roomba. That's crazy. 2002? 2002. I, I thought that was like a 2010s type of thing. I thought it was like a 2020. 2020? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Who remembers DJ Roomba? DJ Roomba? He was awesome. The company iRobot themselves have an interesting history in robotics. They were first started in 1990 by MIT alumni Colin Engel, Helen Grainer, and Ronnie Brooks. And notably, in 1998, iRobot wins the DARPA contract to help build tactical robots um, for military use. The name of those robots were called the iRobot PackBot. In 2001, after the 9-11 attacks, the iRobot PackBot helped with searches in the aftermath of those attacks. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then the year after that, iRobot had an interesting year where they partnered up with the National Geographic Society to develop a robot that helps explore the Great Pyramids in Egypt. They deployed with the U.S. troops for the first time, and that's when the Roomba was uh, launched. Wow. iRobot has a huge history I've never even heard of. Right. I literally just thought it was another company capitalizing on the whole iPod naming scheme, but this was before the iPod, before the iDevice scheme. And they assisted with actual issues, like they helped real things. It's not just cleaning your floors. No, they, they, they have a long history of developing... Uh, robots w- that helped in the sea, in space, and in historical sites like the pyramids of Egypt. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, our robot also was in the middle of this strange crime case back in 2019, April 2019. Now, let me read you a little bit of this article from NPR. The Washington County Sheriff in Oregon says there was nothing unusual about the call. Sure, it was broad daylight, 1.48 p.m. local time exactly. But crime can happen anytime. So the frantic call from a house guest about a burglar making loud rustling noises inside the house, specifically from within the locked bathroom, 
deserved an urgent response, Sergeant Danny Pietro, a sheriff's spokesman, tells NPR. The man had just gone for a walk with the nephew's dog, and when he came back, he could see shadows moving back and forth under the bathroom door, DiPietro says. Resources were immediately deployed. Three seasoned deputies, one with at least 20 years on the force, a detective who happened to be in the area, and two canine officers from the Beaverton Police Department, about seven miles outside of Portland. They surrounded the Cedar Hills house, then they made their way inside, guns unholstered. And the whole time they were yelling, sheriff and police, but the burglar wouldn't come out. He wouldn't say anything, DiPietro says. Instead, the banging got louder, like a loud thud, thud, thud on glass. Officers assumed the burglar was trying to escape, that he was trying to open a window and jump out and run away. Hearts pounding, guns ready to fire, they counted down and entered the bathroom, but instead of confronting a suspect, they found a rogue Roomba robot vacuum that was apparently doing a very thorough job. <laughs> this wow. is a real <laughs> event in 2019 in Oregon. That was intense. <laughs> <laughs> this Roomba is trying to get out. The Roomba did it. <laughs> Dude, they should make... If there's the Killer Couch movie, they should make a Killer Roomba movie. <laughs> Have you seen the Killer what, Couch movie? What is that? It's just, it's a movie that the entire time these people are thinking the couch is killing people. And I don't want to give any spoilers, but they hone in on this big, big, huge, like, sofa couch. And they're like, it went through the door and it jumped off the cliff <laughs> and it's running up the hill. This couch, Killer Couch. This sounds riveting. Yes. Did it win any awards? No. None. <laughs> but I watched the whole thing, and that's a prize. And from this point on, I'm pretty sure everybody knows the, the history of modern-day automation. In 2009, Siri launched for the first time for iPhones. Mm-hmm. Everybody loves Siri. Mm-hmm. In 2014, Amazon finally released their Amazon Echo. 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 It actually Echo. became one of the first smart home hubs of its time. After that, it paved way for other smart home hubs as well. Like Google Home. Well, now we have Google Home, correct? We have Apple HomeKit, which should be releasing soon. Even third-party devices like Hubitat, which I'm going to purchase myself mm-hmm. soon. Oh, you were talking about that yeah, one. I saw a video. Yeah. And a lot of modern smart home automation devices have become way more affordable. There is this kit called uh, TP-Link Casa, where you can just literally plug into existing outlets or existing um, wall lights to convert them into smart internet-enabled switches and devices. Yeah, there's so many other smart appliances. There's smart coffee makers, smart refrigerators, smart Roombas. There's wearable smart devices like smart watches, smart uh, heart rate monitors. Um, there's even smart thermostats and smoke detectors for your house. It's awesome. It really is. And the more sensors you have in your house, the more you can feel secure about it as well. And monitor it from your home. You can literally leave town and monitor everything in your home. How mm. awesome is that? Long gone are the days where you worry whether or not you turned off that stove. <laughs> now let's turn back time here a bit. Turn back time. <laughs> now, we started off by saying Nikola Tesla was ahead of his time. But let's go all the way back to 1 AD or 1 CE, a.k.a. Common Era. <laughs> There was this guy named Heron of Alexandria. He was a philosopher and an inventor of the time. In that era, Alexandria had been taken over by the expanding Roman Empire. There was still a large Greek population in Alexandria, 
and the Roman Empire was struggling to get them to convert over to their beliefs and gods. Heron had come up with a way to open up doors automatically simply by lighting up a fire on an altar. The mechanism behind it was entirely powered by the fire and it was a series of pulleys and hydraulic systems hidden away from public view and the purpose of it was to create a sense of divine power for followers of a specific temple. This was done because the Roman Empire at the time had already invaded or expanded through the city of Alexandria, which had a major Greek population, but they were proving to be difficult to convert over to their new beliefs and gods. So this was created to sway the Greek population into believing Roman beliefs and Roman, Roman gods as well. Wow, so sliding doors were invented in the first century. Kind of. Not exactly sliding <laughs> doors, but they did sway open, yes. Yeah, they go and do that, huh? I'm trying to end it. I cannot it. go I'm, through one podcast without mansplaining things to I'm you. I'm trying no, to literally segue to the end here, and you're like, well, actually, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay? <laughs> Not quite. Not really just kind of swayed instead of swung, you know? <laughs> and scene. All right, that's all we got for today. Thank you so much for joining us on this topic of home automation. And smart home technology. It was a blast researching this for all of you. Mima, where can we find you? I am on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can find me at the handle Memes Tech Group. And I, as of yet, don't have anything to follow yet, but stay tuned and that will follow soon. Once again, this has been Johnny G. And Mima. And we are... Chimps on a Keyboard! Boy, Mima fell down the well.